this message inspires and encourages you. For more information, please contact Nexus Church. I want to get into the Word tonight. Uh, it's in 2 Kings chapter 6. It's an incredible scripture, one of my all-time favorites, so I'm really excited to preach it. And, uh, and it's about uh, this guy who's the king of Syria, and uh, he's just all about getting the enemy, the king of Israel, Israel and the Israelites. He's going to plunder them. He's going to take what they've got. He's going to chase after them. And uh, we pick up the story in verse 8. Now the king of Aram, which we'll now call Syria, modern day Syria, was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was, almost, so he was on guard in such places. This is almost a comedic routine where the Arameans or the Syrians are starting to get uh, this plan to take on Israel. They're going to take them on. But Elisha, the man of God, is actually playing a game of inception and uh, gets inside the ears and the mind, knowing what the king of Syria is doing and can thwart his every, his every plan. And it says time and time again, Elisha and the Israelites thwarted and avoided the plans and the attacks of the enemy. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded them, tell me, which of you or which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord, said one of these officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. The next morning when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, that's a pretty good catch cry. You wake up, you get out of your tent, undo the zip, and you look up in the hills and you're surrounded by the enemy, horses and chariots. Oh no. And uh, what shall we do? Have you ever asked that question? Oh no, what shall we do? Oh no, what are we going to do here? Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills. The hills that were once full of enemies are now filled of horses and chariots and fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness and Elisha, as Elisha had asked, Elisha told them, this is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me and I will lead you to the man that you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. And after they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so that they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked and there, were, then that, there they were inside Samaria. And when the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elijah, shall I kill him? Shall I kill him? Really enthusiastically. 
And Hebrew uh, culture will say that that's actually, if you say it twice, it's really enthusiastic. Would you kill those who you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. So the bands of Aram, who were so hell-bent on going after Israel because of an act of grace, had turned their ways and never stopped raiding Israel's territory again. Incredible passage of scripture. And I just think that we need to bless it in prayer, bless this night in prayer. Father, we thank you for the word of God, that it has power. Lord, that it reads us, that it speaks to us, that it is alive and it is active. And through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the lens of Jesus, I pray, Father, that we, our lights and our, the eyes of our hearts will be enlightened tonight. Lord, that the truths that are written down so many centuries ago will be a current reality for us, that we can take great hope and that we can go into our world seeing you more clearly, leaping with joy in Jesus' name. Amen. So much going on in this passage. You know, there's divine inspired espionage. There's spies in the camp, but it's not of anyone. It's of God and the man of God, is Elisha. There's opening of eyes. There's closing of eyes. There's opening of eyes. There's acts of power. There's acts of grace. So what does this all mean and where can we learn and where can we go with this piece of text? Well, I want to start by looking at the wonder and the power of spiritual sight. The wonder and the power of spiritual sight. Every time Jesus looks at somebody who's blind physically in the, in the Gospels, he doesn't cast them aside. He doesn't say, sorry about that. He heals the blind. That's one of the things he says in Luke chapter 4, that I have come to restore sight to the blind that it's an actual commandment that Jesus is going to restore and give sight to the blind. And it's not just a physical sight, but it's an awakening of the spiritual, that our spiritual eyes will be open to see God moving powerfully. That, and he talks about that you were once physically blind, but now you're going to be spiritual, you can spiritually see. Talks about you were physically dead, now you're going to be spiritually alive and it's this restoration and this beautiful exchange that Jesus does constantly in the gospels and constantly in our lives today that Jesus wants to restore sight to the blind that he wants our spirit to come alive and to see God in all of his goodness God in all of his faithfulness God working in our very midst that our spiritual eyes will be awakened and open to see God at work doing amazing things Elisha prayed to God to open the spiritual eyes to see the true reality that was at play in this scene. The natural reality was that the enemy was closing in, but the spiritual reality, which is an even greater truth, which is hard for us to understand, but the spiritual reality, which is the greater truth, is that heaven's army was surrounding the army that was surrounding Elisha. And so I've got three experiences of my eyes to help us draw out some of the beauty of having spiritual sight. The first one is you need to switch to see. Now, in my uh, life, I've realized, and I've had three corrective surgeries on my eyes, that my brain only chooses to look out of my right eye. 
My left eye is not blind, but my, my brain only chooses to look out of my right eye. And so if I was to choose to switch over to my left eye, it's almost like I'm starting that lawnmower. Okay, here we go. Couple of pulls, ready to go. Okay, we're going to count down in five, four, no, hang on, we're not ready yet. Five, four, and it's this big task for me to even switch my perspective to look from my right eye to my left eye. If I was to do that now, you guys, I can't even see you guys because my brain just doesn't choose to, to strengthen the left eye. But we need to switch to see because looking in, um, in, our, in our spiritual sight, it's not natural for us, is it? It's not natural. I go around my life and I constantly, it's natural for me just to look out of the one perspective. But if I was to choose to look out of the other perspective, it's a conscious choice to switch over to see out of my left eye. And it's natural for us to walk around in this world constantly just looking at our surroundings, the natural pressures, the friendships, what we have, what we don't have, making logical sense of where we're going and what's to be. And, and, and we don't often engage and switch to see that there is a spiritual eye that is waiting for us to be engaged, waiting for it to waiting for it to be engaged for us to see the true reality of what's going on. And so we're constantly, just like Elisha's servant, we're looking at the natural surroundings and all we can see is the enemy, all we can see is the opposition, all we can see is the finance and the bills and the health and the friendship breakdowns. And, and, and we're constantly surrounded by this because we're looking out of our natural eye. But then the word here is that Elisha prayed, Lord, open his eyes that there's a spiritual eye that needs to switch, that needs to be engaged in order to see the true reality. You know, there might be financial pressure, but the Bible says that the Lord provides all my needs according to His riches in glory. I'm, I'm operating now to a place of trust, to a place of faith. It's not natural, but I need to engage it. I need to gauge that deep sense of spirit. And you know, you might be sing, uh, sitting here tonight and you're going, I can't sing those songs. The goodness of, I can't see What's the goodness of God in my life? Well, that's why these songs are a place of trust, place of faith. And you say, you know what? I might not be able to see it. I might not be able to feel it, but I'm going to switch. It's not natural for me, but I'm going to engage my spirit to see that God might be good out there, that God is faithful. And we start to switch and engage our spiritual eye. The servant he could only see the physical reality, but not the spiritual reality. The servant could see natural forces, but not the spiritual forces. The servant could only see those that are against him, but not those who are with him. He didn't have the ability to see the truth, what's really going on. He had an impaired ability to see what is going on spiritually. He, couldn't, he, he, he was not convinced. He couldn't be convinced. Imagine Elisha saying, but they're there. I can see them. Why can't you see them? No, they're, they're just over that hill. Like, can't you see? He didn't try to convince Elisha's servant. He prayed something that God could only do. You know, have you ever been in a youth ministry where you had like that challenge where you had to go and drive with some youth leaders and compete in these challenges? You had to complete 10 challenges, get photographic evidence, and then meet back at the youth ministry before nine o'clock and with your evidence of 10 photographs. Have you ever been in one of those? Yeah, we haven't done that under my youth ministry yet, but for a good reason. 
But, 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 but one of our uh, jobs when I was youth leading on the Sunshine Coast was we had to take our group and convince strangers that there was a koala up a tree. We, had, we were in the Malulaba, uh, in the Malulaba, we were, we were in Malulaba and we were stopping and we were looking up at this tree, going, getting really excited. Guys, can you see it? It's amazing. Come on over here. And we had to take photos of strangers trying to find this koala up a pine tree. And I thought we had this guy, he was there for about five minutes going, I th- and we're going, yeah, that's his leg. He's, you know, he's behind. You can see his claw. <laughs> you know, and we were there trying to convince him that he could see it. And Elisha wasn't trying to convince the servant, hey, no, but just look a little harder. No, he simply prayed, God, open his eyes. God, do a work that only you could do. God, open his eyes to see the true reality. God, that, that you are for him and you're not against him. There are more of us than there are of them. And then all of a sudden, because he asked for something that God could only do, it dropped and Elisha's servants could see. And his perspective, when he switched on his spiritual eyes, totally changed. Where he was overwhelmed, where he was full of fear, now changed to, yes, I believe that God is with us. Every story I've ever heard about God, now I can see it. I've got faith. I've got confidence. I've got the victory. Why? Because his spiritual eyes were opened. And it gave him a sense that is greater and true than what he did in the natural. See, John chapter 9 tells the story of Jesus healing a blind man. I love preaching that story to young people. You know the one with the spit? You know, when he spits in the ground, creates mud. Man, that's a funny story. But Jesus leads him to faith, doesn't just heal his physical sight, but awakens his spiritual life that he would now see, that he was blind, but now he sees, that he was dead, but now he's come alive because Jesus intervened his life. And the Pharisees can't understand this. And so they go investigate the story of what Jesus is doing. And later on in John chapter 9, it says, When the Pharisees, uh, Jesus said, I have come into this world so that the blind may see and that those who may see become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard this and they asked, Are we blind too? If you were blind, Jesus replied, you would not be guilty of sin. But since you claim that you can see, your guilt remains. What? Are you saying, Jesus, that we are blind? That we of noble cloth, we who uphold the law are great with tradition in the temple, we who are moralistically and and religiously, we tick all those boxes, are you saying that we are blind? And Jesus says, since you claim you see, your guilt remains. Which is a kind of way of saying, Jesus saying, "Mm mm-hmm, you are blind. You look all clean on the outside. Moralistically, you're doing great. Religiously, you are perfect. You are ticking all the boxes. But there is a spiritual truth that you have yet to awaken yourself to, that you have closed yourself off to recognize that the very Savior that you have predicted, that you have prophesied, that you knew who was coming is standing right in front of you, and yet you can't see. 
You're blind to your sin. You're blind to your brokenness. You're blind to the separation that you have in Christ. And you are blind to the very Savior of the world. The man sent to come and to forgive your sins so that you may see and you can't see him. Yes, you are blind. Spiritual sight is not natural. And uh, in fact, all characters in the story that we've read about in 2 Kings, they're all blind, except Elisha. You know, the king of Aram, he's blind. He can't see God at work intercepting his thoughts. The Israelite army, uh, or the, sorry, the Aramean army, they're blind. They can't see God at work. Elisha's servant, he's blind. He can't see God at work except Elisha, who constantly had a truth. It's not natural to see. John chapter 3 talks about Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees, incredible religious leader, heralded, esteemed, recognized. And he comes to Jesus and he says, how must I have eternal life? How, how can I have this new life that you speak of? Then the next person... Uh, that we see in John chapter 4 is the woman at the well who is not moral at all, quite opposite to who we encounter in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. But both are blind and both need to be born again. Doesn't matter about your good works, doesn't matter about what's going on, both need to be awakened. Their soul needs to come alive, the sight needs to be restored. Spiritual sight is a gift and it's allowing us to look through a different lens and to switch our gaze from fear to faith. The second one is depth perception and dimension. With my eyes only yilking out of one eye, I don't have any depth perception and therefore I can't look, I can't watch 3D movies. I found this out, we went to the IMAX theatre in the Sydney Harbour once and I went with my group of friends, there was something about sea animals or something like that. Something really, really weird. And I was sitting there the whole time going, what is going on? Everyone's, everyone's ooing and ahhing and ducking. And I'm just like, this looks like blurred lines coming at me. I, I've got no idea. And then everyone's just like, how good was that? And I'm just like, oh, it gave me a headache. <laughs> and, uh, and so I have no depth perception, therefore I miss the point where my two eyes work together to come to a collective focal point. And what was meant to flow and create new experiences for me, I, I missed out of it, and it doesn't make any sense to me. And, and I just think that in life, when we have, engage our spiritual eyes, we have two areas working together to create a, a focal point. We got heaven and we got earth. Jesus prayed this in the Lord's Prayer. It says, on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Two worlds colliding, coming together, creating a dimension that is powerful and dynamic. And some of us miss it. Some of us, it's there, but we miss it because we're missing the focus, the dimension that was meant to make life so powerful and meaningful and life-giving and hope and faith and yet we miss out because we can't see the extra dimension that God is having us. And he's saying, it's there, guys. Just change that perspective. Switch your perspective. See that there is something great for you. Depth perception on two things. The depth of our sin and the depth of his beauty. The depth of our sin and the depth of our beauty. If we don't have our spiritual eyes engaged, we don't see the depth of our sin. 
We see that we're just going against our moral fibers, not really going against the value systems of this world. Maybe God won't like it. We feel a little bit guilty. But when we understand the depth of our sin, we see that our mistakes, our failures, they actually hurt the heart of God. They damage our relationships. They damage us. And we, and we don't really understand the depth of our sin. But we also don't understand the depth of his grace. Where sin went deep, his grace went even deeper. And we don't see it when we don't engage the spiritual eyes to see. I love what Paul writes. He talks about four dimensions of Christ's love. And he writes this incredible prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. I pray that out of his glorious riches, that he may strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp four, four, four deep things, how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ, some of its mis- uh, these dimensions of Christ's love. And we don't see heaven and earth collaborating for our purpose, for our power, that, he, that we are here on this planet to do good works, to glorify our Father in heaven. And we miss out on the dimensions of Christ's love because we're constantly just seeing things in the natural and seeing things that please ourselves rather than operating and engaging that spirit of faith and trust in the Lord. I love what John Newton wrote in the, that most incredible uh, song, that hymn. I once was lost, and, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. John Newton's spiritual eyes became awakened and he wrote this beautiful song of worship that we now get to sing along to. The third one, and the last one, is absolute clarity. Absolute clarity. And Nee, if you want to jump up, mate. Have you ever had to do the eye chart in one of the optometrists? You know, where there's letters and they get big up the top but then get smaller. And, uh, and, you, and you're sitting there and you're trying to do the best that you can with the letters that you've got and you just kind of get to the point where you just make it up and you tilt your head like one of those puppy dogs. You're like, huh? huh? Maybe look upside down. That's an N. No, it's an A. It's a W. No, it's a H. You know? And, and uh, there was this time when I was uh, needing new glasses and I had to do this uh, test, and, 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 uh, and they just kept constantly changing the lenses until something that was blurred totally became clear. And, uh, and, and in life, we need to get to that place where we're constant see, constantly seeing Jesus more clearly. Just constantly seeing the life, the love, the hope of Christ more clearly in our lives. We get blurred perspective. You know, as I was trying to read that chart, it went from blurred and and it just totally changed my responses. Instead of me giving a wrong answer, I was now giving the right answer because I could see clearly. And some of us are, are, are looking at the wrong things, looking at the right things, but through a wrong perspective because we're not seeing it through the perspective of Jesus. And Jesus making it more clearly. It's the, we see the gospel of sheer grace when we see Jesus. Paul, who was a Pharisee, what we were talking about before, moralistically, the, the religious fiber of his being, absolutely nothing wrong. 
he wrote in Philippians chapter 3, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. That's what I would give myself a tick. That if I was to do a report card of my life as a Pharisee, or a life of a religious leader, moral religious law, faultless. But he goes on. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. He was seeing things, but just not through just not clearly through Jesus. Legal righteousness, faultless. He thought he could see, but he, in fact, he was blind. And now he counts it all as lost because now the only thing he can see is Jesus and him glorified. So I've had three eye operations, all to correct, all uh, corrective and surgeries to restore and repair. To restore and repair. That's the mission of corrective surgery to restore and to repair. And, uh, and sometimes we have to go undergo surgery to see Jesus clearly. It's heart surgery. And Jesus says, I want to come and I want to restore. I want to repair those things that were damaged. I want to shift your perspective. I want you to see more clearly. I want you to have a dimension of his love. I want you to come alive with the hope that is in Christ Jesus. And he moves us to that beautiful, beautiful place of knowing him and seeing him clearly. And then later on, we don't have time to read it, but Ephesians 1, I, I, I promise you, if you go home at some point this week, even tonight, you read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, you'll be blessed and receive Paul's prayer over you. And he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart, the eyes of your heart, those spiritual eyes will be enlightened. They'll come open. You'll see a new dimension. You'll come alive with hope. You were living in despair, but now you see the beauty. Now you see his life. Now you see his faithfulness. Now you see his glory. Now you see his perfect, perfect, perfect purpose for your life. That they will be enlightened. They will come alive. They'll come open. So you might be able, you might be able to know how truly, incredibly powerful he is. So the story ends in Kings with the blinded people going before a king in Samaria. And it looks like a setting up for a predictable ending. You know, that Elisha made them blind. He's going to move them into, you know, the place where they're going to now get their punishment, that they're going to maybe get killed off because of what they've done. And they've done some horrific things in the, in the eyes of war. And it looks like it's going to be a predictable ending. And we see the king of Israel going, can I kill him? Shall I kill him? And Elisha, he turns this plot twist on its head and says, don't kill him. Give him a feast. Give him a feast. Continue to bring in all those incredible meats and all those things that will just bless them and they can get fatted on it. Oh, is that even a word? They can, they can just enjoy this, the spoils of it. And, and he says, just give them a feast and then send them on their way. It was an act of grace. 
blind people coming before a king. Oh, blind people coming before a king. And Elisha steps up as advocate, steps up as the person who can change the circumstance and can go turn from judgment to a place of grace. And he says, I actually don't give them what they deserve. Actually give them a feast. Allow them to feast. Oh, man, does it remind you of somebody? Does it remind you of me who was blind, but Jesus steps in as my advocate, steps in as my Messiah, steps in as my Saviour. And I was walking to a place that deserved judgment and I was blind, but Jesus says, you know, you're going to come to a place of grace, not going to come at a place of judgment. Because he went to the cross, deserving to die, but having grace instead. This is the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. That we were blind, but now we see because of the grace of Jesus Christ, because he took it on himself, that he stepped up as advocate. He stepped up as saviour. He stepped up as mediator between the king and the people and said, no, they were deserving of that. They've done some terrible things. They're far from the plans and the purpose of God. But because I'm going to step in, because I'm going to take that judgment upon myself, it's now a place of grace. It's now a place of feasting. It's now a place of celebration. And that celebration meant so much for them that they turned their ways and they never returned and hunted the Israelites again. A place of grace totally brought transformation. It brought repentance. And so we were blind people. That's the truth of it. We were blind. But Jesus stepped in and says, I will be your advocate. And I will be someone who opens those blind eyes that now you can see. That the eyes of your heart will now overflow to see the perfect purpose and the love of Jesus Christ. That you'll see him in all his dimensions. How wide, how deep, how long, how high is Christ's love for you?